All right, we just finished recording a dope episode with Michael Martocci, the CEO and founder of SwagUp. I personally came away with a ton of new learnings and actionable insights on business building. What do you got? So for me, the biggest thing was this whole idea of abstracting away complexity from a fragmented kind of crappy industry. And that was like what he did. He went in, bootstrapped a business, had an amazing cash conversion cycle, which we got into, uh, and has grown into quite a juggernaut. Totally, I think my big takeaway was how do startup founders use debt, not venture capital, to finance their business? And he shares a few secrets on that that I don't think a lot of people know. Yeah, there were some great hacks in this episode. You're really gonna enjoy it if you're a builder. Tune in. By now, you know that I love going down rabbit holes. And today, I get to share one of my secret tools with you, Tegas. In today's market, we don't have time to spend weeks getting up to speed on a new company, industry, or idea. Tegas is the fastest way for investors and M&A teams to learn everything they need to know about a company, all from an on-demand digital platform. Tegas is the most extensive source of instantly available one-on-one -on -one conversations between investors and experts, covering companies from seed stage to the public markets. Just log in for instant access to 25,000 plus transcripts that are instantly searchable. To get a free trial today, sign up at tegas.co slash room. Again, to sign up for a free trial, go to tegas.co slash room. You won't regret it. Are you and your team still using your personal phone numbers for work? Do you call customers, partners, or candidates with your personal phone number? Do you find it hard to manage your work and personal calls when they're all mixed together on your smartphone? Well, we have a solution today, OpenPhone. You can use OpenPhone to get dedicated business phone number and keep all your work conversations separate and organized. OpenPhone is an all-in-one business phone system that can help your startup look more credible from the get-go. And it works right from your existing smartphone or computer. Each phone number comes with its own inbox for managing calls, texts, and voicemails all together, making it easy to keep track of every conversation. Numbers can be shared with your teammates too. Make outgoing calls, answer incoming calls, and even respond to text threads together, all from the same phone number. You can even set business hours or mute individual phone numbers with a tap, helping you silence work calls without losing touch with friends and family. OpenPhone is the easy-to-use modern phone system designed for startups like yours. To get started and save 20% on your first six months, visit openphone.co slash room. Again, that's openphone.co slash room to save 20% on your first six months. You won't regret it. All right. We did awesome. it. Awesome. Yeah. We're um, seriously stoked to have you here. So thank you for taking the time. Um, yes, yeah, fun. So I want to get into this pretty quickly, I guess, because um, I have so much that I want to talk about. I like about how casual you. it is. Really. What? Can I start? I like how casual it is, by the way. Can I start? Yeah, dude, fucking start, man. <laughs> and you can curse. And by the way, this is all post-production. So like say anything, you're like, shit, I shouldn't have said that. Tell oh. us. We'll cut it out. Doesn't I curse matter. on all the podcasts. Yeah, you should curse. Yeah, it's <laughs> way more fun that way. And we're drinking tequila, so I'm gonna pour yeah. some while you're starting. So yeah, is well, it sponsored by these? Uh, yeah, Comos, man. You should. If you've never tried it, it's the best tequila in the world. Oh, so good. So, uh, swag up. Thank you. Great business. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a Go great on. business. Thank you. Um, from what I understand, like you, I mean, we're late like, checkout as a customer, so you help 
when a new employee joins late checkout, you basically send them a box of swag and it's awesome because people feel welcomed and, and it's just seamless for like the company. We don't have to like think about it. Yep. You're a bootstrap business. Is that right? For now. Yeah. Can you talk more about why you bootstrapped it and how that experience has been? Yeah, for sure. Well, first off, like it wasn't meant to be this huge company, you know, like when you're an entrepreneurial kid, you start lots of businesses. Like I had, you know, started when I was five years old, selling things outside my house and it evolved into like eBay, buying, selling, trading cards and stuff. So this was just one of many different things that I started. And it just so happened to really take off over time. But in the beginning, it was just like startups love swag and there's not the go-to brand in the space to, you know, that every startup goes to, you know, because if you think of business cards, everyone went to Moo, you know, stickers, everyone goes to Sticker Mule, but swag was a much bigger market, you know, and corporate gifting is a $200 billion market. Can I pause you there? How did you realize that? Like when people that are listening to this, they're young, they want to go build something, they're ambitious. What did you do to actually like happen upon that exact realization that swag was a big industry and no one was doing it well? Yeah. And I don't know anybody in this industry or anything like that. You know, the the reason I I got into it and learned about it was in college. Me and a buddy launched an app. So again, just another one of the ideas or businesses that were started. And the app was called Click. And it was basically a way to find kids on campus that are trying to play volleyball or, you know, doing this or that. And you, you can see a feed of live events going on. And in the process, we wanted to put custom flags in the dorm rooms because, you know, I saw Barstool Sports had done really well by promoting on campus, putting flags up in parties and stuff. So we want to get flags and they were $140 in the U.S. to just get like a polyester rectangle. And I was like, this is crazy expensive. And then I got introduced to Alibaba and found a supplier over there for $8 to get these custom flags. So while we were launching the app, I was like, why don't we just get a little side website going and resell these flags from overseas suppliers? So... That's how I first kind of forayed into custom printing. And then, you know, fraternities would be like, hey, can we get T-shirts from you and stuff? And then, you know, I learned, I I knew the people that did Trump's campaign merchandise too. And I I went on their site one day and I saw on the bottom that it was like powered by this, you know, network of distributors or suppliers. And I went in there and you can see like, there's all these suppliers you can get hard goods from, like bottles and notebooks. And so now in the back of my mind, I had this like whole supply chain that, that I was aware of. Um, and I didn't do, you know, swag up wasn't then the natural progression after that, but I always had that in the back of my mind. And then I ended up, you know, I dropped out of school, became business partners with an NFL player, this guy in the giant, Steve Weatherford. Oh yeah. And we started. Hunter, the yeah, most yeah. jacked guy exactly. in the NFL. Insanely we jacked. Yeah. You know, we were leveraging that persona to build like a fitness brand around him. So we launched like training programs oh, and cool. then physical products and stuff. And even with that, we were bundling the digital programs with like physical items, like shaker cups and, you know, resistance bands and stuff. So still in the back of my mind, I knew about that stuff. And then I ended up leaving that and joining a VC firm in New York City for like three, four months, a family friend of mine. And I, this is where kind of startups and swag came together because I'm around startups every single day. And you just realize like they're coming in, they barely have any traction, but the first thing they have is like t-shirts and you know mugs and all this stuff. It's the first thing you do. You get funding, you make a logo, you get swag. And you know, if you, there was just no company that stood out as like the startup-y version of, of a swag company. You go on these sites and for imprint and vista print and stuff and these sites look like they're from 2003 or four and they throw you into a sea of like way too many options and i wanted to build a brand that kind of resembled you know stripe and the types of you know platforms they're already using you know from a software standpoint but in, in the swag world so 
So one of the things you hit on there that um, I think is really actionable for people that are trying to find a new business idea, like, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur, they're entrepreneurial, maybe they did lemonade stands, like I read about your background, you had done all this stuff since you were a kid, which I always admire, by the way, because I was like dicking around playing sports. And to this day, (laughs) I'm about to have a son, like, what am I going to teach him? And do I want him to like be dicking around playing sports like me? Or do I want him to be doing entrepreneurial things and starting businesses and poking around with stuff? And I, I always really admire it. But one of the things, it's clearly part of your ethos, but that people can take away from it when they're starting businesses is like that curiosity that you had where you were starting something totally different, click, and you were going and looking at the flag and you were like, well, shit, man, this doesn't make sense that this costs $140 here and it costs eight. What can I start with that? Well, I could resell the flags. Then someone else asked you a question, can you make t-shirts? And you're like, hmm. Yeah, like the curiosity to say, hmm, maybe there's something bigger. Let me go ask a couple more questions about it. Like, what else might you need? How could we do more with this? That is a really cool thing of like, if someone is just trying to go start a business, just start asking questions about the stuff around you that people are struggling with to like start trying to find those little, you know, nooks and crannies. It's also just so much easier now to start things, you know, like the, you have to get over that initial hurdle of like zero to one of like just getting something started. Once you've done that a couple of times, then it doesn't seem scary anymore. And you're like, oh, it's very easy to start this website, start that. There's free tools to make, you know, sites and use Zapier to connect them and all this stuff. And a lot of the initial swag up site that did millions of dollars was all just hacky bootstrappy free stuff. So I think it's, you got to get into that creation mentality where it's very easy to, you know, start, you know, seeing problems and creating solutions versus thinking about all the reasons it's not going to work or why it's too hard to do it, you know? We were talking about this earlier, so I want you to talk about this too, of like the whole like, I don't know, I call it Lego blocks as a framework, but basically we live in this world now where like with low code and no code, you can just go Build, you know, hack something together to, as you said, like you can go test your minimum viable, minimum viable product. You can hack together over a weekend probably with like developers in Eastern Europe and like yep. a bunch of low code, no code stuff. So like, do you have any reactions to that? I mean, my, my, one of my takeaways is, is you started with the community, right? Like, it's not like you're like, Hey, let me go build swag for everyone. You had like a particular community in mind that you defined like a particular type of startup. And then from that, you use the Lego building blocks of no code, low code to piece it together and then tell a story that really resonated with that group of people. Yeah. The, one of the books that I read leading up to Swag Up was The Purple Cow from right. Seth Godin. And it's all that idea of like, if you're going to stand out in this world that's so noisy, you have to be like instantly remarkable. You know, if you walk by a farm and you see a purple cow, you're going to be like, holy shit, like that's a purple cow. Like I've never seen one. And the first thing you're going to do is you're going to take a picture, you're going to share it on Instagram, you're going to call somebody and be like, I just saw a purple cow. And the idea is that you need to embed like this purple cow nature into what you're doing so that when people see it, they instantly are like, this is different than anything I've ever saw. And that was the the idea first around focusing on high growth startups and ones that are looking to, you know, buy their time back, that are looking for modern solutions to problems. But then we niched down even further and focused in on like the swag pack concept that's, you know, I, I call it a Trojan horse or a mousetrap into the door with all these companies. And because I was always looking for like, how can we even dive deeper than that? Because with the custom flag business, I learned about the supply chain, but I also realized that you can't build a successful business just being like a cheaper provider of these products. You need to figure out like who, what community, like you said, do you resonate with and what's the specific thing you do better than anybody else in the world. And that's what we've focused on. There's been so many times where we could have diverted the attention and you know do new product lines or, or, or focus on other areas. And we constantly kind of try to stay in this like lane that allows us to grow really quickly and then, and then move out of it over time. 
This is a great business building framework in this of go find a massive industry. So like the swag industry, big, fragmented, tons of money flowing around. No one's really doing a great job. Find an underserved community, to your point, in this case, startups, and basically just deliver the best product, like exactly what they need. No more, no less. And just go in and create the product for them. You go talk to, I, I bet you could literally do it. You go find that industry, you find the community you want to focus on, go talk to a hundred startup founders. I mean, 50. you also don't even initially need to build the product for them. That's the, that's the hack that no one talks about, which is if you could tell a story that resonates with them, they'll bear with your product that isn't all there. Yeah. So, say that again. Like, what do you mean? Go deeper on that. When you go to Vistaprint, as an example, um, I probably haven't been to Vistaprint in 2004 or whatever either. <laughs> but if you go to it, um, it and you're a startup founder, it doesn't resonate with you. When you read the website and when you see like the story that they're telling, you'll you'll look at it and be like, okay, maybe I can figure this out. Maybe I I could like. It feels like Amazon, right? Yeah. There's just like so much option mm. and it doesn't connect with me. If I go to, let's say, Swag Up, um, it feels like it's speaking to me and that's like a, uh, it gives me a warm and fuzzy feeling. So I think that people who create warm and fuzzy feelings, basically, as a way to, to storytell is, is the huge unlock. When it comes to marketing, you mentioned Purple Cow. I think that there's, if you want to learn anything about marketing, there's only two books you need to read. The first is Purple Cow. I've never read it. I need to go read that. By Seth Godin. You need to read it tonight. Yeah. You need to read it tonight. Yeah. It'll tell you how to stand out. I wonder what you're going to say the second one. I wonder if it's the other one I know. It's, it's also a Seth Godin book, actually. It's Tribes by Seth Godin. Have you read that? I yeah. haven't, but I haven't read it yet. Yeah. Well, it's a short read. It's probably, from what I remember, like 100 pages. Okay. It's and like community building before community was a thing. Yes. <laughs> that book changed my like changed huh. my life, basically. I read it in probably like 2005, maybe. Is this what originally got you into community as an it's, investment thesis and as a business building thesis? I, I had always like been into community. Like I feel like people who are into community, like you don't choose community. Community <laughs> chooses you. Yeah. Um, so always like into like internet forums and stuff like that. When I read Seth Godin so eloquently describe tribal nature basically and, and how why people come together and how you can use that from a storytelling mechanism that basically told me that, hey, like this isn't just some fun thing that like internet kids could do. This is something that like real, like Seth Godin, he's like a New York Times bestselling author. He's like maybe 15 times. And like he's a real, a real trusted source that is telling me at the time, 15 year old kid, that this is the way. So that's what made me believe that, you know, it gave me the confidence to be like, maybe I can have a career out of this. Mm -hmm. There's another book similar to that called Fizz that's really good. It's about word of, mark, word of mouth marketing and virality. There's a really big viral nature to our business. And then another one that's like a classic marketing book is called Positioning by Al Rees and Jack Trout, which is all about like, you know, planning your business in the minds of people and tying it to something they already believe in and so that you'll be remembered. Yeah. And it's very similar to like Purple Cow, you know, nature. Can you talk about the viral point that you just made? Because I, I hadn't thought about that until you just said it. But like, 
your product is visual. Your product is also surprise and delight because companies are sending this stuff and you're getting it and you're like, oh, holy shit, One my of the new benefits company. of having a physical world business. Yeah, you know? where like they want to tweet a picture or post a picture on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever of like, holy shit, this new company I just joined just sent me this swag pack. Yep. So how are you like... How is it clear that it's powered by swag up when that happens? Or is it just like implicit because it's a startup doing this and you know they're a customer? Well, there's a few things. I mean, we have a channel in our Slack called Swag in the Wild. And every time we see one of these out in the wild, we'll throw it in there. And we'll, we make newsletters out of it and we'll show our customers as like mm-hmm. social proof. But there's a lot of it. You go on Twitter, you go on LinkedIn, you'll see a lot of it. And I think one of the most interesting things that we've accomplished is that swag up swag means something versus just swag. You know, like you can buy a notebook and a hat, but if you're a startup that didn't get that swag up, you almost took like the cheap route or you didn't Mm. go with the brand that companies go with. And even without us prodding, you'll see people on LinkedIn sharing like, oh, we just got our new hire swag packs from swag up. Like at the end of the day, we're selling a commodity. Why are they tagging us? They're tagging Mm. us because there's some sort of value and brand like around what we do that showcases that, hey, Swag up is the best. They do it the right way. And we're proud that we work with the best type of company. I yeah. think if you can build that connection for your brand, that's like a huge, huge unlock because now it becomes this sense of like, you know, ego in a way. Like we need to be working with them or else it means something about us. Like we don't, you know, and, and that's the focus of when you work in a, in a tight community, everyone knows each other, you know, and one, they start telling each other like, hey, we work with Swag up. You guys should too. But also, like, if they if they see you working with another company, maybe they think, like, oh, they don't work with Swagup. Like, why is that? But then the other viral nature to your point is, like, our products are out there in the world all the time. We Every customer we get has an uh, exponential growth in terms of how many packages are out in the, the world. The factor that, is that, high. Yeah, that people get. Yeah. And naturally, if you get a package from a company, you know, let's say you really love Ramp, and Ramp sends you one of their packages that we made for them, like Swag Packs. You're going to go to Kareem or Eric or somebody at Ramp and be like, hey, these are awesome. Like, where'd you guys get them? Like, how can we get them? And you, they'll say, oh, so I got there the best. Reach out to them. We also put our logo on the bottom of every custom oh, printed box. So if you flip it over, you'll see a small swag up logo on the bottom of the boxes. So that also helps a little bit, but it's almost like Typeform, you know, powered by Typeform. They have that there and gets people to you know, want to do that. Product-led yeah, growth. Yeah, product-led growth. I was just going to say the exact thing because we've talked about this a lot of like the most amazing product-led growth that we normally see it in like software and tech products where you see like superhuman had the sent by superhuman email mercury uh is amazing with like their wire sheet is just beautiful and it's an amazing wire sheet and it's a beautiful product great product-led growth this is a really cool example of product-led growth in physical products where it's out and because it's like integrated into what is naturally already a pretty exciting process of like you've joined a new company, you typically announce that on LinkedIn or on Twitter or Facebook, or wherever, and now you're tying it to a physical product that these guys are integrated into. It's like a really cool natural acceleration, high K factor activity. That you One of the other digital it. components is like we do these redeem pages where companies could build out a little landing page and send it to the, the people, the recipients, and those also will say powered by swag up t- towards the bottom. So like every new customer leads to more new customers. I don't know the exact viral coefficient of like one equals 1.8 or 1.9, but every incremental shift, like one leading to 1.5 and one leading to 1.6 has a huge exponential difference. You know, if you can drive that. Let's tie that back to bootstrap businesses. So what what you're talking about is like the dream of any VC, right? So now you started this bootstrap business 
um, you're, you're hitting some scale. I don't know if you can share like what sort of scale you're hitting. Yeah. Um, Tens of millions and of dollars. And Bootstrap also makes you do things like this, you know, because mm -hmm. the constraints, you don't yeah, you have to. the capital to just pour hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars in the market. So you have to look for the ways that you can drive growth in a way yeah. that doesn't cost you anything, you know? So we've always focused so much on like, the user experience, the customer experience, so that they can become our advocates. If like, because then you know that if you pour money on top of it, it's just going to have an exponential effect. Versus, oh, you're just so reliant on capital to get new customers, and they don't really love the product. They just, you know, you are, you were able to buy them basically. Is would you ever consider raising venture now that you're at this point of of scale and? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's so much that we want to do long term from a technology standpoint to just change how this industry operates, you know, and be more of a supply chain API layer. Um, and that requires like the best engineers in the world, the best product managers in the world. And it's just gonna be a slow slog if we wanna keep going down this path. Sure. And and it's like one of those things, like it might not even make the most financial sense to, to raise money for me personally as a founder, because I own so much of it. My life is like nice and chill, you know, we run the business, <laughs> I can keep doing it and we'll build a several hundred million dollar company. But at the same time, I get more enjoyment out of like, seeing the vision come to reality than just like milking a, a business like for cash flow or something. So, mm -hmm. you know, we've always reinvested all of the money back. We've always taken low salaries. We've always be, re you know, we're growing two to three X a year. You know, we'll, like to, for a sense of scale, we'll do 55 million plus or minus this year. Next wow. year we'll do over a hundred. This month alone we did eight. <laughs> um, so things are moving really quickly. And, and again, without raising any money and we're always like redlining, like we're always at the very, you know, edge of like how, how hard we can go and, you know, the resources we have and what we can do with them. Um, and like I said, it forces a sense of discipline. And I think that bringing capital into that environment in such a scrappy environment, we can use that capital so much more effectively and efficiently than another company that is so used to buying their pro like solutions or paying away their problems. Um, you've learned so. capital allocation from the ground up. Like you've had to be an extremely efficient capital allocator because right. of the fact that you didn't have capital. And so now bring capital into that. You already have built a really efficient capital allocation. Yeah, not, engine not, $1 is not it. the same for everybody. Sure. You know, $1 for us might be $6. Mm. $1 for Quibby. you could be yeah, Very half a dollar. <laughs> could be 20 cents. So I, I think we have, uh, you know, we, we've proven that we can get a, a high return on capital when, yeah. when we have it. Now that doesn't mean we're just going to raise a hundred million just, you know, to get a good article out of it. And if it's going to sit there, you know, and, and I think there's also a big use of debt too. You know, I, when we have a physical business, that's relatively predictable. You raise some equity, but then you follow it on with debt or you, you want to buy companies or vertically integrate the supply chain, just raise debt. You know, these are predictable businesses. And I don't think enough founders understand how debt works or, or you know, they get spooked out of it by equity investors like, oh, debt's bad, don't use debt. You know, and it can be bad if you don't know what you're doing. Can um, you talk more about that? Like, I feel, I feel like you're totally right. Like, I, you know, a lot of the founders that I know when they're thinking, you know, they're, they're running a technology business, they're just, they only think venture. Um, so how do you, you know, what's your advice to, to founders and, and how do they learn more about debt or, how, you know, how do they use debt to their advantage? Well, first off, I have a finance background, you know, I went to school for finance. I worked at a hedge fund when I was 18, you know, as an intern, that was the path I was going down. So I think there's a really big advantage to understanding finance in startups. If you're going to be the, the CEO or leading the company, because every business, you know, and Keith or boy will say it and others, it's like an equation, you know, the whole business is just one big, you know, algorithm and one big equation. There's all these inputs and levers and leads to outputs and you need to be able to model that out and, and understand how that works. 
And, and then when it comes to you know, resources and capital for these businesses, you know, different types of capital are good for different things. Like if you're taking bets or long-term you know, investments in the future, debt is not a good idea. Like you need to be able to cover the cost of that debt over time. And there's a chance those investments don't pan out. But it's when you have predictable cash flows that are going to be derived from the investments, then it's just an, an ass, a, a measurement of what's more expensive. Is, is the dilution more expensive? Is the cost of capital more expensive? You know, the cash that you're pulling out of the business in the meantime. But if you're, let's say you're buying a, a cash flow positive business, like for us, we want to, let's say we want to buy a screen printing facility to mm-hmm. vertically integrate. It would make no sense to raise equity capital to purchase that business. Yeah. You, you, it already has cash flow. We can just get debt at a very cheap rate. We know the cash flow from the, from the business is going to cover it. You can even spin that out as a separate entity that doesn't impact, you know, the main swag up business or something. So you just have to be really smart about like how you structure is, the business. It's an important concept. So I, uh, similar background to you. I, so I spent seven years in private equity, and so got very familiar with that because leverage buyouts were the game in private equity, and we didn't overlever things in the way that like barbarians at the gate and people think of private equity. But one thing that I learned intimately was the whole idea of cost of capital. And when you think about the cost of debt capital versus the cost of equity capital, like equity investors expect a 20 plus percent return on their investment. Debt right now, you could probably get <laughs> debt, private in debt the, mid de- single digit. Yeah, depending on what it is, four to seven percent, four to six percent, depending and, on how risky. And where does a founder go and find that debt? Well, if you have investors coming in on the equity side, it's very easy because then yeah. you have like the stamp of approval from an equity investor and you can raise on the back of that. Like SVB won't even talk to you unless yeah. you have. You need the money. equity. Yeah. Although Mercury is disrupted. Like there are companies now that are disrupting that where if you have a bank account and you're doing other things like Mercury has now branched into doing venture debt because they can disrupt SVB with that. Companies like that I think are very interesting like um, uh, Pipe. Capchase, these companes that are clear doing like re- ClearCo, doing revenue financing, where it's mostly for SaaS companies, so they haven't quite branched into stuff we're talking about with physical, but non-dilutive revenue financing, another interesting like paradigm shift within um, within these markets that again can be much cheaper. I'll than give you two more equity. unlocks too. One is local banks you can actually go to, and they'll have. You know, very loose, easy terms for small amounts like fifty thousand, a hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand, and there'll be maybe no personal guarantee. They won't want the first position on the debt, and you can stack them. You know, so you can go to this bank and get a hundred. You go to TD Bank and get a hundred fifty. Huh. You go to this bank and get fifty, and now you just got four hundred thousand in lines of credit and and debt that didn't really you know at a four percent, five percent, six percent rate. And they don't care if they lose 50K. They want your business as a customer, that kind of stuff. So we did a little bit of that That's interesting. in the early days. And then the other thing is if you do, let's say you go to like a Santander bank, like a local bank and you get 100K and now you want to get 300K in a, like a, a line from them or something. Me as a 22-year-old at the time or 23-year-old is going to be very hard-pressed to get Santander to give me another 300,000. They're going to say, first off, the business doesn't have a lot of credibility and you're 23 years old. So what I did early on was I brought in a, a partner into the business that was the finance person, you know, the back end compliance, finance, legal, all that kind of stuff, Artem, and he already had small banking relationships. So I inherited his credibility into the business and he can go to his banker who he's worked with on other businesses and be like, hey, you know, we've worked well to here. I'm now part of SwagUp. Can we, you know, can you help us raise, raise a little bit of debt? And, you know, that's, that's like a cheat code, I think, is if you can inherit people's credibility to get their relationships. Um, otherwise, it could be hard, you know, if you're just starting out. Like, no, not many people want to give two hundred thousand dollar 
you know, lines of credit or something to some business that has no revenue and it's started by a 23 yeah. year old. You know? The SBA loans were like the original genesis of a lot of this. Like people would go get an SBA loan, but a lot of times those came with a personal guarantee. And so if things went sideways, you were stuck for the next 12 years, whatever, having to yeah. like have a portion of your income go yeah. towards paying it off. My main idea when I was starting it, once we realized it was going to be somewhat successful and there's a whole entire idea of like cash conversion cycles and when you have to pay out and when you get paid that is a huge component of how we were able to do it first off um but the the idea i want to talk about that actually sorry so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna pause you on that because so cash conversion cycles is a super interesting business concept that i don't feel like people dive into enough but like the whole idea of a working capital cycle and being able to actually collect cash on a faster cycle than you have to be paying it out to your vendors or your suppliers that is, like, is a huge unlock it, it as you grow. It can be the difference between two businesses that do the exact same thing and one that grows at 100% and one that grows at 20% or goes out yeah. of business. Because you know? growth, so the actual math of it is growth that if you have worse. negative working capital, when you're growing, you actually are funding the growth with the cash that's coming in from this and you don't no. need to put money in. Negative working cap or a positive working capital business means like I have to pay for inventory before I'm receiving cash from my customers. No. That's a typical apparel business because they have to pay vendors on 30 day terms and then they receive cash from their customers on like 60 day terms and that's really bad because when you're growing you're actually just bringing in cash much slower than you're having to pay it out to yeah, your the vendors three legs the cash conversion cycles are how long it takes you to pay out your vendors or how long you get to to pay out your vendors how long it takes you to collect money from people and how much money or how many days you have of inventory sitting there how much cash is sitting in inventory for us in our business, everything is just in time uh, manufacturing. So the inventory component is out. So that's a, you save 10, 20, 30 days insane. of working capital there that most businesses have to put out. And then it's a matter of you know selling the story to the vendors and, and trying to get, get credibility with them to give you as far out terms as possible. Net, you know, in the beginning, it might be hard. You'll get a couple net 30s. The rest will be like, no, we need you to pay until you start to build up credibility. But at least it's still only when you collect money. You know, and then we try to collect as, as much as possible up front. The good thing about working with startups is they're not Amazon, Walmart, and Facebook where they're going to be like, no, we only pay net 60, you know, screw you guys. We, and since we're doing custom goods where those goods aren't really useful to us afterwards, we can say, hey, no, you need to pay us right now before we start because we don't want to sit on a bunch of, you know, striped hoodies that are useless to us now after, you know, because you didn't pay us. Um, so, you know, really thinking about that is super important. I think we have a negative like 16 day <laughs> cash conversion cycle. So like you said, as we grow, we're, we get to sit on, you know, every million dollars for 16 more days. So every, you know, as we yeah. keep, keep growing, we're able to fund more and more yeah, flow. over time. I mean, it's, it's, this is like <laughs> the maximum iteration of this is like Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway, like having insurance companies having a float where you collect premium upfront from all these people for something that you're not going to have to pay out until a much later day. So you have all this cash that's yeah. just sitting there that you can do things with. In a business like this, you have all this cash coming in from your growing customers and you can use that to invest in things. You can pay all of your employees with it. Like you have all of this capital that you're actually, as you grow, amassing and accumulating that you yeah. can reinvest in things and you so gotta you say like a lot of people are like oh they just want to go straight to the software and just build software but that's very expensive and the payback periods are long but if you take a business like the one we have it can become a bank for you to build software you know you, one you get to learn about the customer you get to understand the problem so it's almost it's like the agency style you start with an agency you build tech later because you under you get paid to learn the problem and you get customers out of it and they're giving you the capital that you can reinvest without diluting yourself. So I, what I was trying to say before that I couldn't get out was 
every day you can push raising money out, you're saving yourself lots of dilution because the, the risk in the beginning is so high. You know, investors are going to want 20%, 25% on a seed round because you haven't proven anything. So every, every little thing you can de-risk, you're going to save yourself 5%, 10%. That equity is so important. And so if you, can, if you can be really scrappy, don't spend a lot of money personally, get a few customers in the beginning, you're going to save yourself tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars down the line by just saving you that 5%, 10%, 15%. Um, versus just t- the easy route of just going straight to raising the money because you know you're going to use that money to you know figure out the problem you're trying to solve or you need you know and some people aren't in the same position like they need that capital to get out of their full time job or something but the the more you can avoid that you're going to feel much better about it like two years down the line. Can we talk about this whole idea of abstra- abstracting away complexity as a business like? Twilio is the best example that I can think about as a public company of doing this. They took messaging, which was this super messy thing that startups and small companies didn't want to deal with. It was like really hard to set up and hard to cobble together and you just didn't have time to do it. And they took that messy backend process and abstracted it away into this simple API first company. You've done that with this industry. Can you just talk about like how you thought about that, where it came from? Yeah, it, it, it wasn't the natural like inclination from day one. It was the, you know, over time understanding the problem and the way the industry is set up in the supply chain, you start to realize like, what is the best way to solve the problem in the industry? So, you know, as we started to gain scale and get a lot of customers, you hear the same problems over and over again about how they deal with it. And that helped us build like the front end, but then you also realize it's so fragmented. There's 30,000 swag companies, 30,000 that's basically do the same exact thing. 90% 90% of them are doing under two and a half million. So if you just think about, you know, and that's, that's a $30 billion industry. And like I said, corporate gifting is like 210 billion. So if you think about that network, you have, you have 30,000 swag distributors, millions of customers and hundreds or maybe thousands of suppliers. So if you think about all the nodes in a network like that, it's hundreds of millions of one-to-one connections. And they're all reinventing the wheel over and over and over again. You have a swag company in Milwaukee that has their own warehouse. They have their own tech team. They have their own designers. They have their own you know, relationships with these suppliers. The suppliers have to have 100 or 1,000 people, sales orgs or account management orgs to deal with all the volume. And it's just wildly inefficient for, for the world in general. And it's, you know, it eats the margin in, in the industry because there's so much manpower involved. And if you think about the, the biggest swag companies, some of the biggest ones, they're just private equity roll-ups. You know, they, there's a company called Halo. They do like $850 million and they just buy all these smaller mm-hmm. swag companies. But they don't unlock any sort of real efficiencies or scale dynamics and they don't use technology. They just aggregate all these people. So there's 10,000 people that work at Halo, you know, 5,000 people, whatever it is. So to me, there just seemed like a, a much better way to sh- utilize shared resources, you know, and I you know, have to give credit to Dak, our CTO as well, because when he came in, he also saw this and he decided when he was building, you know, the first version of our internal and external like platforms to start with APIs and then build around it. So it wasn't, it wasn't meant for external users yet, but it was like, let's start, let's build those APIs. It's the right way to build our infrastructure, knowing that one day people might want to tap into that, you know, directly and build something else with it or build the same type of thing and compete with us or whatever. So, you know, then I started to do the research into companies like Twilio and Plaid and Stripe and how they're set up and how, you know, they're able to scale so so greatly and how they're able to enable creativity at scale because they take care of the boring hard stuff that, you know, it's really 
inefficient for people to continue to solve that same hard problem, like let one company solve it. So, but those principles haven't really been applied to the physical world as much. The physical world is still so messy and hard to deal with. Um, so, you know, as I started to think about the competitive nature of the swag world, like we can keep going with swagup.com and be the best swag management platform and stuff. And, and we'll continue to do that. But to me, everyone, it seemed like everyone was running away from the supply chain. You know, that was the hardest problem and nobody wanted to deal with it. And even if you see companies like, um, you know, like Sendosos and Snappy Gift, there's all these like both sales enablement platforms and sales and marketing and also like employee experience platforms. And they want to leverage swag in some way, but they all want to partner with a company like us because they don't want to touch the physical part mm -hmm. of it because they just like, you know, being the software layer and making it really simple and, and not getting in the weeds with it. So as I saw everybody running away from that part, I was like, that's where the real value is. That's where like the moat and the big opportunity is. If we can just kind of consolidate this industry, aggregate all the volume coming through us as this central con control point, both the supplier and supply chain side will be much happier because it's one centralized place to interact with all the demand. And then on the demand side, and the distributor side, they now have best-in-class technology to scale their business, and they can just focus on customer relationships, um, you know, partnerships, expanding revenue within the accounts they have, and not worrying about the actual fulfillment of orders, execution, running a warehouse, running a tech team. And a lot of these companies don't have the capital or even wherewithal to know how to do those types of things. You know, so we we feel better about empowering the industry and making it more uh, more efficient at scale than being the one that's gonna go out and acquire mm -hmm. every customer. And also that's very expensive to acquire all the customers. There's, you know, there's so many different niche types of users that utilize Swag for different reasons. And the way that I think of it, you know, there's a Swag company probably in Michigan that's really good with like the hospital systems in Michigan. They really understand that market. They have, there's still a big relationship component to these types of sales too. Like I know, I know the director of, you know, uh, HR at you know University of Michigan hospital system. Like, are we going to try to spend all this money trying to acquire that customer and break that relationship, or why don't we just empower the you know the people that already have those relationships and just be the one that all the volume is flowing through? And we'll take a take rate on the entire industry, and we'll work to drive our costs down so that we can get as close to the industry margins as possible and still give them the margin they need. So that's that's how we think about it. So there's a lot there, um, <laughs> and. I guess a couple things, a couple reactions I have. One is just like looking into the future. The takeaways from that for me, if like if you're a builder and you're going out and you're wanting to create something, there's so many interesting insights of like where can you go do that. So Swag Up is a perfect example. Like you you found this big, like very inefficient industry. You abstracted away all of this complexity. You did all the like grunt shitty stuff that you had to do and in the background. it's still grunty and yeah, shitty. Yeah, and know? you're dealing with the supply chain, you're dealing with transportation, you're dealing with all this stuff. Like what other industries, if we want to get tactical and we want to think about the future and brainstorm, like where could you do that? What industries jump out to you guys as places where this could happen? To me, I look at financial services as a huge one where I'm like, we talked about it actually at the beginning, taxes for like founders, for startups, for uh, entrepreneurs. I look at that and I'm like, this is a huge market that is somehow massively underserved. Like all of these founders are selling equity, getting into these things, not optimized at all from a tax perspective. Huge opportunity to go and do something that's just like really simple, seamless, plugs in, like offers a great experience for them. I look at transportation and logistics. Like right now, I mean, we all know about the supply chain issues that are happening. I'm sure you know it intimately, probably too intimately. No. Um, and that's one to me where I'm like, 
there's no clarity, no company wants to deal with it. I'm on the board of a few consumer companies that it's like dealing with freight forwarders and the entire experience. Awful, the whole yeah. thing. Flexport yeah, I mean, Flex is, is trying to do yeah. it. And Ryan's amazing and he's gonna come on the show actually too. And they're like phenomenal and they're trying to do that. They're trying to abstract away a bunch of the complexity. Um, what other industries or places do you think about that might have some similar uh, attributes? I mean, the way I think about it is start like I start I start with the community of founders so I, I think about what do founders do on a daily basis and what do they do in the life cycle of a startup and I think the way to think about it is you just start mapping out what hmm. founders do hiring team members um you know paying them incentivizing them, incentive, them. like all and you and you just I think like the challenge I would have for our community is you know, if you feel like you have an edge in a particular community, for example, founders, map out that life cycle and then through that, map out the challenges and then through that, map out what a product that abstracts the complexity away that you could make API first, community first. You want to look at common themes of what are things that all these people are doing in a way that's like very manual or they're all doing it in some sort of different way that's a pain in the ass for them. And how can you be the one that kind of consolidates and does that part for them? I think another, I think deal is an interesting one, mm. D-E-E-L, yeah. Yeah. where they're kind of, you know, taking over the whole compliance and payroll for overseas workers. And you can easily embed that into lots of other platforms and they don't need to be the interface layer for that. I think notarize is really interesting. Oh, so good. You know, that one, like to this day, I look at it and I'm like, why didn't I do that? Like, pisses <laughs> me out. Like, it's the dumbest thing. Like DocuSign yeah, is a perfect example of this where you're just like, it's the most obvious business that should yeah, exist. I mean, notarize can be plugged into yeah. so many different Ugh. transactions and platforms and it's so much better than the yeah. old way of doing it. I mean, you, it, but you, you know? bought a house before, like the notary we're, process we're, for yeah, a house. About it's to, like, yeah. oh my God, I, you need, I, I refinanced my house during COVID and then I sold a house and bought a house during COVID. And the amount of time I spent with a notary physically in person during those three processes, I mean, it's insane. Like I spent more time with them than I probably spent with my parents yeah. because like they yeah. have to come and you have to do all these signing. The promise of APIs is like you take something that's really annoying and complex yeah. and become the best company in the world at solving that problem over and over again. And then you just let people access it as easy as they can access anything, like making a text or calling or whatever. It's like, and it's so efficient for the world because it's one company solving a hard problem and letting everyone else focus on the problems that they solve. And you're gonna see so much more of it because if you think about what happens with SwagUp at scale is as we continue to you know take on this really complex supply chain and make it available through APIs, now, just like Twilio, you're able to like handle the whole communication stack through an API. You, with us, you can tap into the whole physical world, you know, sourcing blank products, sourcing decorators, sourcing, you know, the ability to kit and assemble, the ability to store items, fulfill them. We think of our supply chain as Legos and, and building blocks in an entire kind of physical supply chain. So if you just want to procure the blank merchandise, the, the notebook, you, you just want to procure the iPad, you, or you, you want the iPad and you want to put the logo on it, or you want to build a membership subscription box that taps into our sourcing capabilities and our assembly and our storage and fulfillment capabilities like you can build those things as a kid in a house in you know michigan or, or wisconsin without ever touching the physical world without ever figuring out the supply chain without ever building relationships all you're doing is looking at different apis and i want this part of it i want that part of it. it's like a menu and you put them together to be building blocks of a business without having to refigure out the things that everyone else has already figured out and it's just it's just so much more efficient for the world to have expertise 
you know, that does it once and other people can use their creativity on top of it mm. versus trying to figure out the logistics and then their creativity is dead by the time they figure out the operational component. If you talk to people that, you know, people that loved baking pies and then they start a pie business, they end up hating baking pies because they had to deal with the, the operational part that's been solved many times over. And that's why I'm a big fan of like private equity versus venture capital because I think it's much more interesting to take businesses that are bad at the operations and, and that part and, and help them scale that because that part's repeatable versus the creative side and the product market fit side is the hard part, you know? That's so interesting. First off, super hot take on liking private equity versus venture capital, which I love. I love, love a good hot take. Um, <laughs> and I love this like find the annoying thing framework, like hiding the ugly stuff or like find the annoying thing because it's so easy if you just open your eyes on a daily basis to go find annoying things. And it doesn't have to be things that annoy you. Everyone's like, everyone loves the, you know, find a pain point. Like what's something that you find annoying or find a pain point. If you literally like sit in an Uber, I, I, I take a lot of Ubers in New York. And every time, rather than sitting there on your phone and texting, if you just talk to the person and ask them, or like people on a daily basis, go to your like landscaper or someone that's at your house or service workers, whatever, you just ask them like, what's annoying about your job? What do you find annoying on a daily basis? What do you have to do? It's like sending invoices, whatever, whatever they say, sending invoices, finding enough rides. Collecting like money. Collecting money. There's no better skill than being deeply curious. Oh, you know, you just look at such everything. A good way of saying you're, talking to, you're talking to the curiosity yeah, that, chronicle yeah, king. Yeah, it's true, man. I mean, this is my thing. That's it becomes a sickness. Like, you're just so curious. Yeah. Like, I spend so much time reading on my phone and talking to people. And, you know, even in an Uber, I'll ask them, like, what's their life? Like, what are the pain points with Uber? Like, yeah. all, all these things. Because you just want to know, like, how can you make it better? And you're just interested, genuinely interested. And those types of people end up building the best companies because they're solving very real problems. I think another one as an example of a type of business, like when I worked at a pizzeria, that was my first job. I was a busboy for two years in New Jersey. Every Friday night or Sunday night or whatever, Mike, Mike Danino orders his ingredients. He's got a list of all the things. I, I got to get three bags of sugar. I got to get 20 pounds of flour, all this stuff. Like it's Every pizzeria is doing that. Why wouldn't that just be embedded in the POS system as you sold 30 units of this pizza, automatically reorder flour from this centralized distributor and it gets sent to me. Like, it's just taking those things that are happening in the physical world that people like don't really like to do. And how can you do that once and let other people tap yeah. into it? Yeah, and what could he be spending time on rather than that? When you when you compound that over five years, could he have opened up different locations? Could he have improved the experience? Could, I mean, it's like when you play that out, actually, economy-wide, there's something incredible in terms of the value unlock that happens when people do abstract these things. Think of it after 10 years, 50 years, 100 years, that incremental 5% back that people are getting keeps adding. And instead of GDP going here, it goes here, Yeah, you know? It is a really powerful thing. I mean, I, I love this. The whole like the power of just being insatiably curious. That's going to be my takeaway from today. Because it's the, the biggest yeah. thing I try to find in like people we hire. Like, yeah. Are they are just you curious? innately curious? How are they, curious are you? How do you yeah. test that? How do you like interview someone? One, like practically, I try to see like, have they started something on their own? Like, do they have a podcast? Do they have a blog? Do they have a book club? Do, like, just have they done something from zero to one and started it for no reason other than they just wanted to, you yeah. know? That, that's like the biggest telltale sign. And then it's just, you have to product. Do you read? Like, how do you find information? Like, what are you interested in? Like, why did you even apply to this company? Uh, you know, did you, did you do research on Swagger before you got here? Like, just because you're genuinely interested in it. Like, so it's not, it's not cut and dry. Like, you, yeah. you never know 100%, but 
that's the number one thing I try to look for because startups, you don't have time to be on top of every single person. And you have to hope that they're just going to self-motivate themselves to find the answers and ask the people the questions they need and stuff and be proactive. Like the worst thing you can have at startups is reactive. Like we call them like passengers because they, they don't get anything done and you don't really get leverage as a leader because you have to keep prodding them to do things. So. Mm. I bet That's really have, interesting. Yeah. Passengers. Yeah. I've never heard anyone describe it like that, but it's so true. Like you you want drivers not passengers yeah we talk about it all the time so i bet if you took an index of people who talk to their uber drivers and ask them questions about their life i bet if you put an index on those people you would do really well like a financial index on people that do that yeah i mean if i was a seed investor the only thing you're really looking at at that point is the characteristic traits of that type of person that's leading the company because everything else doesn't matter you know the mm. business is probably going to change you know, they're going to have a lot of hardship. It's like, is this person going to make it through? Are these people going to make it through? Do they have the right skill set to interact with each other? You know, like pe- people matter so much. So maybe this is the venture fund of the future. You like get a fleet of 10 Uber drivers and you have them like strategically pick up the founders <laughs> of the people that you're going to be going and backing and assessing and you see like how interactive this they are. This reminds me of like the things like hedge funds do where they send people out and they got like a clicker on the road. Like how many trucks pass by today? Or go stand in line at a new Apple launch, you know, a yeah, new Apple release and ask like, are you going to buy this? Week. What are you going to buy? How many are you going to buy? Are you going to buy in the future? Yeah. It's like some yeah. associated hedge fund standing yeah, there. It gets harder and harder to find your edge you yeah. know in, in the world especially as ai comes in and yeah. stuff like what's going to be the unique edge that you can the insight that you yeah. can draw that no one else can you know interestingly curiosity is still an edge to this yeah. day curiosity sure. and community yeah 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 community is always going to be an community edge. becomes more important as the hype as the world gets more digitized like we've seen it over the last two years as people have flocked to like communities in this world where they were so you know away from their you know the people that they've seen on a daily basis and, and every brand that's been successful now over the last three, four, five years, all has a community element to it, you know? And that's that's why I've always said that swag matters now more than ever because it helps bind, bond communities together, you know? And, and the theory that I have is that if you go back 10, 20 years, before it was like companies had all the power, you know, whether it's employees or their customers. From a customer standpoint, there's not a lot of solutions out there. You are the one or two or three main solutions. As an employee, you can you, you only have a few companies to work at. If you're an engineer back in 1985, you work at like IBM or you work at GE or whatever. Now today, the power has shifted to the employee and to the customer and stuff. You have so many more choices of companies you can work at. You have so many more choices of companies you can buy from. So when you choose to work at a company, you choose to buy their product, you have some sort of connection to that brand in a, in a deeper sense than just the product they're providing and the paycheck that they give you. You know, like if, I, if I'm a developer and I choose to work at Stripe, I chose Stripe over... 100 or 500 other companies I could have and I didn't just choose it probably because of the money There's something deeper about stripe that I resonate with the British the mission the type of people there the values and Swag becomes this physical kind of embodiment of that connection and it, and it binds the people together And if I if I'm in a bar in SF and I work at stripe and I see someone else with a, a Stripe hoodie I instantly have a connection to that person the same way that if I went to Stanford and I saw another person wearing a Stanford hoodie You instantly are connected because you have these shared mm-hmm. value systems. So that's why I think not only have we executed well, but we're also hitting a stride where community and, and building bonds between people and communities is more and more important. And, and doing swag right really helps do that well. Um, and, and that's why I think it's more valuable than ever. Would you ever explore doing digital swag for teams? So for example, like late checkout, we're like 30 people. We are actually, we like we, we actually just realized this, that we're a customer uh, and 
but not only do I get like a welcome box for new employees, but we also get like an NFT that I can use as my profile picture, for example. Yeah. Yeah, we thought about NFTs and how we can integrate them into the experience, but I don't, I'm not a huge fan of NFTs to begin with. Hot yeah. take. Yeah, just unless there's some sort of practical value, not to say that it has to have real world application, but like what are, if we introduce NFTs, how is it adding any new value to the experience? And if, and if we can come up with a way to where it is, then great. But if we're just going to throw it out totally. there to like tie the word NFT to what we do to get some sort of like credibility or something, then that's not really something I'm interested in. Yeah. But if we can figure out like, hey, this is actually really valuable. Like you get the one of one, you know, representation of the branding in this year's swag pack or something and it's a collectible or it gives you access to something at the headquarters or something like that that makes it interesting. Um, but also, I mean, it's not for us, it's for our customers. So if the customers come to us and say, hey, this is how we leverage it. We were talking to one of our bigger customers last week about it so we're open to it but yeah. it's gotta it's gotta be there needs to be useful. utility let yeah. them pull you into it yeah yeah well i'll introduce you to our uh the late checkout agency maybe they can help you out all right yeah, yeah. super interesting um cool this was awesome thank I you so much the time, man. thank you so yeah, much for the fun. time this is super interesting casual i love i mean the you, story of what you're building is just like so so cool and i like that you, you like private equity rather than venture capital yeah. all right greg what was the one big takeaway from that episode for you? I had several, so it's going to be tough for me. Okay, what do, what do you got? All right, so number one, um, the whole idea of abstracting away complexity from a bunch of like very messy, ugly processes, doing all the dirty work in the background and building a business that is built around just taking all that messy stuff and making it clean and easy for a customer and a community was just an amazing idea that I think is very broadly applicable. People can go build that around financial services. You can go build it around transportation and logistics. That was a really cool insight to me. The other one for me was like just being insatiably curious as a huge competitive advantage. Michael's a perfect example of that. Like he thought about the idea of swag up because he was out there seeing different things. He was starting something different, a totally different business that he talked about. And then he saw this flag that realized was so much more expensive in uh, the US than it was in Asia. And it started making him ask questions. It started making him dig into it. And that has led to a, what did he say? A hundred million dollar, close to a hundred million dollar business, which is insane. Yeah, the, I mean, uh, the scale that he's been able to hit as a bootstrap business to me was mind blowing. My big takeaway was that starting a bootstrap business really allows the founder and founding team to intimately understand the business and all portions of it, unlike when you raise venture capital at, at you know the early stage. So I actually think that, and it was a great reminder that don't be so quick to raise venture capital if you can bootstrap because that is a huge competitive advantage. Yeah, I mean, he learned very early on about capital allocation. It's something that we don't talk about with startup founders and with builders is like the power of now for him to go raise money. He has learned so intimately and deeply what capital allocation means and how to efficiently allocate capital that if you went and gave him $10 million, $20 million today, I'm extremely confident that he would know exactly where to deploy it with really high ROI and high efficiency, where 
a normal startup founder that just goes and raises that right out of the get-go, they don't know where the high leverage spots are in their business yet because they haven't built them. So I, I, I agree with you. I think that's a really, really powerful one. And especially the product-led growth stuff. Like all those. So cool. So cool. Like how does he think about implementing, you know, this was created with swag up yeah. and all the different ways in the physical, in, world. In the physical world. Super smart. Um, you're going to love this episode. Let us know what you think in the Discord. Yeah, let's jump into the community after. I really want to go deeper on where else could you do this? Where else could you take a messy, uh, messy industry, fragmented industry, and just abstract that away to go build something beautiful for a niche community customer base? So we're going to jump in the Discord. We'll be chatting about this later. Hope you enjoyed it. Are you and your team still using your personal phone numbers for work? Do you call customers, partners, or candidates with your personal phone number? Do you find it hard? to manage your work and personal calls when they're all mixed together on your smartphone? Well, we have a solution today, OpenPhone. You can use OpenPhone to get dedicated business phone number and keep all your work conversations separate and organized. OpenPhone is an all-in-one business phone system that can help your startup look more credible from the get-go. And it works right from your existing smartphone or computer. Each phone number comes with its own inbox for managing calls, texts, and voicemails all together, making it easy to keep track of every conversation. Numbers can be shared with your teammates too. Make outgoing calls, answer incoming calls, and even respond to text threads together, all from the same phone number. You can even set business hours or mute individual phone numbers with a tap, helping you silence work calls without losing touch with friends and family. OpenPhone is the easy to use modern phone system designed for startups like yours. To get started and save 20% on your first six months, visit openphone.co slash room. Again, that's openphone.co slash room to save 20% on your first six months. You won't regret it. By now, you know that I love going down rabbit holes. And today, I get to share one of my secret tools with you, Tegas. In today's market, we don't have time to spend weeks getting up to speed on a new company, industry, or idea. Tegas is the fastest way for investors and M&A teams to learn everything they need to know about a company, all from an on-demand digital platform. Tegas is the most extensive source of instantly available one-on-one -on -one conversations between investors and experts, covering companies from seed stage to the public markets. Just log in for instant access to 25,000 plus transcripts that are instantly searchable. To get a free trial today, sign up at tegas.co slash room. Again, to sign up for a free trial, go to tegas.co slash room. You won't regret it. Join our free community at trwih.com.